kicking off a new series of messages this week entitled, uh, Things I Learned About Relationships from AM Radio. And we're going to kick everything off this morning by looking at something that I'm sure for many of you is, is pretty important, uh, it's dating. And even if some of you are past that stage of your life, and you're probably glad about that, uh, if you have kids or plan on having kids, eventually this is sadly something you're going to need to deal with. I do tell my daughters that they're welcome to date whenever, as long as they turn 37. They, you know, <laughs> it's up to them after that point. But I don't think that's going to work. So, as parents, it's important for us as well to have a good biblical basis to speak from so that we can help our kids. And so, kind of, so if you're not dating, you can kind of look at it from that direction. So next week, we'll get into the issue of loneliness. Uh, then we'll talk about marriage. And then finally, week four, we'll look into this whole issue of sexuality and how do we live as followers of Christ in a world that's so obsessed with sex and how do we as sexually broken people uh, find forgiveness and wholeness in this area of our lives. I'll let Ben... Okay. Right. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I'm sure many of you are too young to remember, but when I was a kid, if you wanted to listen to music... AM radio was your basic choice. You know, FM was kind of just really getting big. It wasn't, the, at least where I was living, wasn't that big a deal. You know, there wasn't um, VH1 and MTV yet and stuff. And so you've probably recognized, some of you, that some of the various titles that we're using, or all the various titles, are from music uh, from the late 70s, and one of them is actually from the early 80s, so we weren't able to do a 70s thing. The song for today, kind of originally picked it for dating, there's, there's a line in it that says, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. And I think we've all had people that we care about we're in relationships and we're thinking, what are you doing with that person? You know, you can point out major character flaws and problems, and yet the response is, I don't care, I love them, you know. And maybe some of us have been in those relationships, and maybe some of you are in one of those now. And our goal, though, as we go through this today, is to give you some tools to help each of us to make good decisions when, we come, when it comes to the point of having a dating relationship and eventually a marriage. Let me start by reading this passage from Proverbs. Uh, chapter 3, verting, starting in verse 1. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and humankind. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So as we talk about dating this morning, let me start off with a couple of clarifiers. First off, I am so glad the dating part of my life is over. And to be honest, though, dating was never a major part of my life. Um, in high school, you know, a lot of acne on top of you know, being introverted and shy helped ensure that spending time with girls wasn't really going to be a major part of my life. Um, even though the acne cleared up in college, it wasn't much better. In fact, the only real dating relationship I've ever had in my entire life was with my wife. And for those of you who are new to the church, um, since we're on kind of the good-looking theme, my wife is the good-looking worship leader here. So, um, so based on my history with dating, I've relied on a number of other sources, uh, specifically some stuff done by a pastor down in Manhattan, Nelson Searcy, to kind of help put all this together. The second point I think it's important for us to make is the Bible doesn't have a lot of dating stories. Basically because the way we do dating today is a, is a pretty recent thing. You know, in the past, arranged marriages were how people found a spouse. This concept of boy meets girl, 
boy and girl fall in love, boy and girl get married, and everybody else, family, friends, and whoever watches from the sidelines is a very recent thing. That said, while the Bible doesn't say a lot in, in past, about dating specifically, there are a lot of principles that we can apply. Third thing, before we get started, like we mentioned last week as we were talking about reality, our culture sends us messages all the time about what reality is. And sadly, they're often simply wrong. And they go completely against what the Bible says and what, what God says. So we want to start this morning by looking at three myths our culture tells us about dating and marriage. And the first myth is this. There's one perfect person for me. You know, this issue that somewhere out there is my soulmate. And my goal is to find that person. The fireworks will go off. Sparks will fly. And that, that's the person. It's, it's, just, it's a, a popular idea because it's romantic. We see it in movies all the time. You know, I find that one person, my soulmate, we're madly, deeply in love, and from then on, life is just wonderful because I found the perfect person. The Bible talks about it very differently, however. Throughout the Bible, there's this phrase that keeps coming up from start to finish that says, the two shall become one. It's this idea that it isn't that you find the perfect person and then everything will be perfect. The biblical concept is as you marry, God takes the two of you and makes you one. He binds your hearts together. There's this union, this spiritual union that happens where now you're one. There's this covenant that's taken place, this supernatural thing where God takes you and, and makes you soulmates. One of the things we need to do is to, I think, put down this idea that sparks will fly, fireworks will go off, and I'll know that this is the one. You know, another problem with this idea is the fact that while it's really romantic, the emotional aspects of, of new love are great. And those of us who are married have experienced that but they don't last forever. And we recognize being married isn't easy. It takes work. It takes effort. It's not just, you know, that I found the perfect one. And there are a lot of people who decide, you know what, this isn't fun anymore. This isn't exciting anymore. This must not be my soulmate. And even as Christians, sometimes we focus so much on, is this person God's will for my life? And don't understand me. I'm not saying God's will doesn't matter because it does. But I think sometimes we use that. We use God's will as an excuse when deciding, you know, who we should marry. I didn't hear a voice from the sky. You know, what should I do? Part of the thing is God has given us wisdom to make some tough decisions, to be able to have good, solid basis when we're deciding who we're going to marry or who we're going to date. And he expects us to use that wisdom and not just wait for a voice from the sky, but to make good decisions so that when we're in relationships, when we're in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship, we know we have a good, solid foundation uh, to deal with that from. So since the fireworks and the emotions can be misleading when we're considering marriage or a dating relationship. Some of the questions we'll wrestle with this morning is, you know, what should we look for in someone that we're going to marry? What should we look for in someone that we're going to start a dating relationship with? The second cultural myth we want to shoot down is this idea that living together before marriage increases our chances of making it. And not only do we hear that all the time, but it makes some sense. I mean, how can I really know if I'm supposed to be married, if I'm going to be good at marriage, or if this person I'm thinking about marrying is going to be good at it? How do we know this is the right person unless we give it a test drive? Try it for a little while before we make this huge commitment. And the Bible is pretty clear that that's not something we should do. It clearly teaches that sex is only to occur within marriage between a man and a woman. And even if we say, well, we're not going to do anything while we're living together, first off, you should know that lying is also a sin. And the fact is, you're placing yourself in a situation where there's a lot of temptation. And God's clear instruction concerning temptation is, flee from it. Stay as far away from it as possible. Don't just go and, you know, inch your toes up to the edge. 
And you can think, well, okay, the Bible says so, but, you know, come on, the book is so old. You already said it doesn't talk about dating, you know, the way we do it now. So what does the Bible know? Living together just makes sense. In the past 20 years or so, there's been a couple major studies done. One was by the American Sociological Review, and they published an article entitled Commitment in the Modern Union. And the subtitle was Assessing the Link Between Premarital Cohabitation and Subsequent Marital Stability. And I want to read their findings. It says, in recent years, the incidence of premarital cohabitation has increased dramatically in many countries of Western Europe and the United States. Analyzing data from the 1981 Women in Sweden survey, we focus on the relationship between premarital premarital cohabitation and the subsequent marital stability. Our results indicate that women who cohabitate premaritally have almost 80% higher divorce rates than those who do not. Women who cohabitate for over three years prior to marriage have over 50% higher divorce rates than those who cohabitate for shorter durations. We provide evidence that strongly suggests a weaker commitment to the institution of marriage on the part of those who cohabitate premaritally. So basically, among people who live together, the rate of divorce is 80% higher than those who don't. And in fact, live together for three years or more, it goes up even further. Another study was done for the Journal of Marriage and Family, and they found the popular belief that cohabitation is an effective strategy in a high-divorce society rests on the common-sense notion that getting to know one another before marrying should improve the quality and stability of marriage. However, in this instance, it's looking more and more as if common sense is a poor guide. And their study said that cohabitation itself was shown to account for a higher divorce rate than any other factors that might have led to a divorce, such as you know, were your parents divorced, what was the age you got married, are there stepchildren, religion, any other factors. They found the number one factor relating to divorce was did they live together before they were married. And so here you have science backing up what the Bible is already saying. It, it, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, but it's the way it is. And yet there remains this pervasive myth, even among people in the church, that living together will help your marriage. And yet when the Bible says it isn't, and the studies that scientists are doing are saying, like, saying it's about the most destructive thing that you can ever do for your marriage. And lastly, myth three, and that is that premarital sex is no big deal. Because the thing is, we watch TV, we watch a movie, whatever, and we're left with the impression that it's a perfectly normal and acceptable thing to have sex with whoever, whenever, wherever. It's just what you do. And you know what? It doesn't affect you at all. You just kind of go about your day. It doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. And we mentioned earlier that when a man and a woman are married, the two become one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking about sex outside of marriage. And he says that when it happens, those two become one. There's a bond that forms when we have sex, not just in marriage, but whenever. There's, there's bonds that have formed. And he's saying so that every relationship you enter into, you're forming this bond. It's, it's not just something you walk away from. It's a part of you. And we have this temptation at times to separate mind and body. I can do whatever I want with my body, and it doesn't affect my mind. It doesn't affect my spirit. So it's not a big deal. The truth is, however, it does. And the thing is, when we do get married, the impact of those relationships is going to be felt. It's something you're going to have to deal with. Now, there's some of you here today who, whether you're married or not, already know this because you're dealing with, with the pain and the shame and the guilt of, of having engaged in premarital sex. And you understand the impact that it has on your life. And I just want to mention that during the final week of the series, we're going to be talking about finding forgiveness from that and, and dealing with that. And how do we take the sexual baggage that we're walking around with and not just you know, bring it into our marriage, but, but find healing and find wholeness and find forgiveness? Because this isn't an area of hopelessness. Because God's desire, of course, is that we, are, we find wholeness in the midst of this. 
And this is crucial. God doesn't call premarital sex a sin because he's holding out on us. And he wants us to miss something good. He calls it a sin because he designed sex, again, to be experienced in one man and one woman in marriage. And in that relationship, it can be an amazing gift. But outside of that, it can cause amazing damage. And it impacts your body, and it impacts your mind, and it impacts all your future relationships. And I'm not going to try and convince you that sex outside of marriage is is this miserable, awful thing that you're going to hate every time it happens. Although, again, my only sexual experience was with my wife after we were married. I'm not dumb enough to think the act itself would actually be unenjoyable outside of marriage. The issue, though, is the consequences that you're bringing on yourself, that you're bringing on your future spouse, and that you're bringing on your marriage. So with those cultural myths out there, again, just want to restate, God's design for sex was one man, one woman, within that that bond of marriage. And it's the only place that we can experience maximum sexual fulfillment that God has for us. So with all that said, what do we do with this this thing called dating? As we mentioned earlier, the Bible doesn't deal specifically with it. But it does give us, again, some clear guidelines that we're supposed to follow. And so part of that involves us being able to wrestle with some tough questions. And this morning we want to look at four questions that we need to ask ourselves either before or during uh, a dating relationship to kind of help us make sure that we're making wise choices. And the first one is this. What am I looking for? And this is a question of standards. What are the characteristics and qualities that you're looking for in a mate or in a dating relationship? You know, while my my dating life was pretty bad, my brother always had girlfriends. Now, at this point, he has a great wife, but some of the women that he dated, some were nice, some not so much. I hope he doesn't ever click online and listen to any of my sermons because he'll probably be ticked at me. But since he always had girlfriends, my mom was obsessed with finding me a girlfriend. You know, she thought something was wrong with me. You know, what's, you know, Bob, how about her? She has two legs. You know, or <laughs> how about so-and-so's daughter? I think once she gets out of prison, you know, she would be great. And every time I would say, thanks, mom, but no thanks. My mom would always say, well, your standards are too high. And let me encourage you in this. Set your standards high. Before you begin a dating relationship, Think about where this relationship could go and don't just take it lightly. Don't settle. Because let's face it, there are going to be times when we're lonely, when we're depressed, we're frustrated that we don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And when we're in that place, those are the times we're more likely to say, this might not be my ideal, but it's it's good enough for now. Or maybe my standards are too high. Maybe I should lower them a bit. And while it might sound innocent enough, the thing is, as that relationship develops and we get emotionally involved, it becomes more and more difficult to break it, even when it needs to be ended. And I want to make two suggestions when it comes to setting standards. The first question is, is this person a person of faith? Or put another way, is this person a follower of Jesus? And I recognize there might be some who think, well, that's kind of discriminatory. You know, you're saying people who aren't Christians aren't good enough? Not at all. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that God created all of us. He loves people who aren't Christians as well as those who are. The thing is, if we get into a relationship and we have different values and different core beliefs, we're going to end up in a lot of uncomfortable situations where we might be pushed to make compromises, where we might face temptations that we might not otherwise. But we often get this idea that, you know, I'll date this person, I'll get them to come to church, and then they'll become a Christian. You know, a little missionary dating. And again, while it sounds good, the reality is there are generally two ways 
those type of relationships work out. And occasionally it does work. So there's all those, all those exceptions, but generally here's what happens. First, either you drive the person away from God. You so much want them to become a Christian that you pressure them and you persuade them and you manipulate and you're constantly after them. And the thing is, you can't convert anybody. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And all you do is irritate them, make them mad, and drive them further away from God because who would want to be like that? A second general outcome is that your faith is damaged. The Old Testament tells us about King Solomon. Again, it calls him the wisest person that ever lived. He built God a temple. I mean, his devotion to God was, was incredible, and you read all these stories about him. And in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says he married women who served various gods, and we're told that his wives led him astray, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He turned his back on God because he, had, he brought these other people into relationship with himself, in a marriage relationship, that, that weren't focused on God, that weren't faith, that had the same faith, and it led him away. And again, if the wisest person who ever lived couldn't stay faithful to God in that situation, why would I think I could? And again, let me say this to single women here, because I've seen so many, having done campus ministry before church ministry, so many women fall into the same trap. They like this guy. He isn't the follower of Christ, but he's nice, and he's funny, and he says he's interested in God, and you know, he might even come to church with me sometime. And I hate to paint with a wide brush, but you need to know, far too many guys will say anything if they think it increases the likelihood you're going to sleep with them. They'll go to church with you, sure, if it kind of if it furthers that relationship and gets you in a place where you're emotionally attached and all of a sudden they have an in. And you need to, you need to think about that. And I've seen far too many young women who think they can handle it and instead they end up in situations they never intended. If you're considering a relationship and the other person isn't a follower of Christ you seriously need to consider stepping back. Maybe down the road, through another set of circumstances, that person becomes a follower of Christ. And then if you're still open, that's, that's a possibility. Otherwise, you don't want to do it. The second question concerning standards is, this, is this a person of integrity? Now, it would be nice to think that if, number one, the person's a person of faith, then naturally they're a person of integrity. Sadly, that's not always true. When we come to Christ, we don't get everything straightened out right away. And there's a process that God is bringing us through. And there are various people that still have major issues in their life. And sadly, we know a lot of people that, you know, they may have been in church for a while, but there's still major integrity issues going on that they're not letting go of, that they're not dealing with, that haven't been brought under the authority of Christ. You know, here's how it works. There's things that when you're dating are exciting or they're cute. You know, they're fun and exciting. They don't worry about the rules. I never know what's going to happen next. It's just exciting. Then, of course, you get married and those cute and exciting things become magnified. And the things that were once cute are now tearing your marriage apart. You know, why can't I count on you? Why don't you ever say you're, what you, do what you're going to say, say you're going to do? Well, it was exciting when we were dating. It's not so exciting when we're married. I think the hardest lesson for most of us to learn is that you can't change people's character. We can teach people skills. We can give people tools. But we can't change people's character. If a person lacks integrity, we can't give them integrity. If they're dishonest, we can't make them honest. If they're greedy, we can't make them generous. Only God can do that. And God will at times, we'll see that happen in people's lives as God changes them. But not always. Especially when it comes to relationships, we should never base our decisions on something we hope might happen in the future. Because in all likelihood, it, it won't. Maybe it will, and that'd be great, but you can't count on that. You know, I'll date this person, I'll marry this person, and then they'll change. And in all likelihood, they won't. 
and you're going to bring a lot of pain and a lot of hurt onto yourself and onto them as well. So set your standards high, and don't let anyone convince you they're too high. Because I think you'll find that God honors it when we keep our standards high. A second question we need to ask is, when we're, this is especially when we're in a relationship, is am I growing in this relationship? Am I growing emotionally? Am I growing in my relationship with Christ? Are my other relationships growing as well? Am I, am I a better person now than I was when this started? And there's often this tendency when people started dating, we kind of isolate ourselves from everybody else. We just want just the two of us. And we kind of do everything ourselves. We've cut ourselves off from, from our friends and from our family. We just don't spend that much time with them anymore. And I think a good thing for us to do would be to go to people who are our friends and say, what do you think of this relationship? Are there things you're seeing that I'm not seeing? Am I, am I a better person than I was before this started? Ask those tough questions. They're going to save you, again, a lot of trouble down the road. I think we'll come back to this in a little bit. The third question, though, and again, one we should decide before going into a relationship is the boundaries question. You know, how far will I go? When I entered my freshman year at Oswego, I never drank alcohol. I, this didn't interest me at all. And kind of, you know, had this whole fear that my parents would beat me if I didn't. But <laughs> I enjoyed college except for Friday night and Saturday night. Because all my friends would go downtown and I would stay in my room and watch TV because I didn't want to go to a bar with them. And as you might guess, that got boring pretty quickly. And so after about a month, I decided, well, I'll just go with them to the bar and hang out with them. I won't drink. And so I went. I just drank soda. Got some fake ID. They have a guy with red curly hair, and it worked. And I went out with my friends, and you know what? Nothing happened. I didn't lose my relationship with God. The world didn't end, and it was actually pretty fun. So after a few weeks, I thought, well, one drink wouldn't hurt. And after a few weeks of that, again, but the thing was, it was another boundary that I'd stepped over. I was here, and I just kept stepping one at a time. This wasn't so bad. That wasn't so bad. And eventually, I got drunk. And eventually, I was out drinking four to five nights a week, sleeping through classes because I was out too late. And in no way am I equating having a drink with premarital sex. The point is, unless we have clear boundaries that we're saying, you know, this is the boundary and I'm not going past that, we open ourselves up for all types of temptation. Because we'll say, well, you know what, there, there was nothing wrong here. And we just keep taking another step and another step, and then we find ourselves in a place where we're like, how did I get here? You know, I think a, a common question that Christians ask when they're dating is, how far can we go without sinning? And again, the Bible doesn't give clear guidelines for that. It doesn't say, you can kiss, but you can't do this. It doesn't give us those kind of boundaries. There's a book by Randy Alcorn called The Purity Principle. I've actually ordered some copies, so we'll have them uh, next Sunday. And I want to read a, a passage from that. It says, if you told your children don't play on the freeway, what would you expect of them? To go down by the freeway, sidle up to the edge, climb on the guardrail, dangle their legs out, or dance along the white line on the shoulder? Obviously not. That's flirting with disaster. But we didn't go on the freeway, they might say. Maybe not. But if you keep seeing how close you can get to the freeway, it's only a matter of time until you get run over. That's why I don't like the classic question, how far can we go? What we're really asking here is, how close can I go without actually sinning? Tell me where the line is so I can inch my toes right up to the edge. Scripture says something different. Flee the evil desires of youth. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. When you're fleeing, you don't turn around and say, is this far enough? If the spirit of obedience says, my father tells me this is wrong, I'll stay away from it. And if that's the line, I'll stay 20 feet away, not two inches. And later in his book, he writes this, since sexual intercourse before marriage is wrong, 
It's also wrong to engage in any activity that propels mind and body toward it. And again, understand God hasn't forbidden premarital sex because he wants to hold out on you. He's forbidden it because he wants what's best for you. A few of us are taking a class this weekend on Old Testament prophets at the Vineyard Leadership Institute, and it's taught by John Oswald. And one of the points he made was this. He said, freedom is found in accepting the limitations of the Creator. Freedom is found in accepting the limitations of the Creator. He made the point, none of us complain about gravity. You know, you never hear anybody say, you know what, I just wish gravity didn't exist so I could jump out the third-story window, just kind of float down to my car, and I could be a lot quicker than having to catch the elevator or whatever. We, we, we see those limitations and we think, okay, it's a limitation, I'm not jumping out windows. I'm going to take the stairs. Yet when it comes to sex, we look at those limitations as binding us, as keeping us back from really being free. And what God is saying is, no, it's within, it's within these limitations that you find real freedom. It's where you find life. And just as importantly, though, while premarital sex is wrong, it's also forgivable. And again, as I mentioned, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. And some of us are walking around with a lot of guilt because we've stepped over that boundary. And the good news is it's not too late. We're not damaged goods. We can set boundaries now. We can find forgiveness. We can find healing. And a dating relationship, I think especially from the beginning, come to an agreement what those boundaries are going to be. And set them a safe distance away. Make an agreement with each other that we're going to use your bodies for God's purposes. And if the person you're dating wants to go further or pressures you, you need to know that you deserve better. Someone who respects you, someone who respects your body, and someone who respects your faith. And don't settle for somebody like that. The fourth question, and the last one we'll look at, I think the most important one, because it undergirds the other three, is will I trust God? And again, under this, the really big question is, do I believe God wants the very best for my life? And the reason this question is so important, again, because of how it it impacts how we deal with the other three questions. If I trust God, if I believe he wants the very best for my life, I can keep my standards high and not settle because I know he's going to provide someone. If I trust God and believe that he wants the very best for my life, I can set clear boundaries because I know he wants me to wait for marriage, not because he's a prude, but because it really is the best thing for me. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be given to you. You know, Jesus is pointing out to the disciples that God doesn't just care about your prayer life. He doesn't just care about the spiritual part of your life. He cares about every need that you have. He cares about every aspect of your life. He cares about your physical life. He cares about what you eat and what you wear, your emotional life. And you'd have a hard time reading the Bible not recognizing he cares about your sex life too. And his concern isn't just that you're not having sex. He cares that in marriage, sex is everything that it can be. Because it's one of the greatest gifts he's given to us and he wants us to have, be fulfilled in that area. It's something he cares about even that. The issue that keeps, we keep coming to is are you going to trust God's best or are we going to settle for something less? And again, the thing is it happens for many of us. We get into a dating relationship and our concern kind of turns towards that other person. We, we care about what they're thinking, what, what, what's going on, and that's normal. But oftentimes what happens is we can make that other person our top priority. 
we can put them in a place that God is supposed to occupy. And again, we make compromises. We make them because I don't want to lose this person. We, 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 we settle on our standards. We, we compromise our boundaries because this person has moved into a place that only God is supposed to occupy. And often that's why there's pain and struggle in a relationship because God will work to get back to that place he belongs. So if you're starting or, or thinking of starting a relationship, whether it's tomorrow or even whether it's a couple of years from now, set your standards. Set your boundaries and stick to them. You know, but even as you, as you enter into that relationship with another person, be more concerned about your relationship with God than you are about the relationship with that other person. Because the main thing, and the thing that's important to remember, is God's main concern for you is not your comfort, it's not your happiness, it's not even your marriage. God's ultimate goal is that you're becoming more like Christ. And if that's happening, those other things will take care of themselves. What I want to do at this point is ask you to take out your connection cards. And if you haven't finished filling it out, you can do that in a minute. But I want to have you flip it over at this point and have you check off anything that uh, might help take you in your next step when you walk with Christ. And if you're keeping up on the Bible memorization, the one we're doing this week is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it just says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He'll make your path straight. You know, maybe at this point you're in a dating relationship and you recognize that you have some tough decisions to make. You know, usually when, when my family's getting ready to go on a trip, I'm the one rushing everybody out the door saying, come on, we have to go fast. We've got to get fast. We've got a long drive ahead, and everyone else is kind of running around like crazy while I'm yelling and screaming. You know, come on, you're all going to the bathroom. You've done this. you got this. You, we, we get everything. And we finally get in the car. We back out the driveway. We're heading down the street, and I realize I forgot my cell phone, or I forgot my wallet. And even though I'm only a block down the street, I'll think, do I have to go back? You know, we're, we're on the road. I don't want to have to take the extra two minutes or whatever. That it's going to take to go back. But of course, when we think about it, the trouble we save by going back to get those things, it's worth it. And I think oftentimes we're in a relationship and we think, well, I'm already this far. But recognize the pain of dealing with it at this point and asking those tough questions now is going to be a lot easier than, than waiting until it's down the road when the trouble, problems are bigger. You know, maybe for you there's an issue of boundaries that you need to address. And so I encourage you, if you check that off in the car, we just want to be, we want to be praying for you this week. And encourage you to find a friend you can talk to, who can hold you accountable, who can encourage you. Or again, you just, maybe you're recognizing, you know what, I need to learn to trust God. To just relax and trust Him. That He really does want the best for me. And again, I encourage you to check that out so we can be praying for you. There's some other things going on there as well. I encourage you, to, if those are interested to you, check them off. At this point, I want to ask the ushers to come forward. And we're going to receive tithes and offerings. Um. So as Kelly mentioned, we're